With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in, welcome in, welcome once again to another edition of 3 In, 3 Out. I am your host, Clinton Bonner. I'm joined by Brandon Schultz. Brandon, that was a tough loss to the Niners. What what was the ending score? 26 21, right? 26 21. Of course, we get down to like the, the, the half groin line there, right? Like literally like a strand of hair that Hollister was trying to break. And, and you know, it, and I don't think he did. We lose the game, but we have so much to talk about on three in, three out. And I'd love to talk a little bit of playoffs towards the end of this as well, Brandon. But, you know, coming out of it, had a couple of days to digest it now. Now we know we got the Eagles coming up. How are you feeling a, a few days removed from a, a loss by literally maybe an inch and a half? Oh, and the fact that it was that close on multiple occasions, go back to Ursua, you know, being right down there at the one yard line, then you have an opportunity to run a play from the one yard line that doesn't work out. They're just, they had so many chances to get the ball into the end zone. You had uh, Hollister running wide open in the end zone a few plays. I think it was before the Ursua catch to where Russ Mm -hmm. just kind of overthrew him, didn't have quite the time to throw. So they had so many chances down near the goal line that it's hard to be mad at any one play. Yeah, you can be mad at the officials for not reviewing it. You can be mad for Hollister not getting into the end zone when he just has a couple guys there at the one-inch line to beat. You can be mad at Ursua for not getting in. You you could, if you spread out all the madness over all those, what, eight chances that they had, uh, I'm, I'm left with, you know, not, uh, not much left. <laughs> and you know what? We're still playing next week. So there you go. And and that and that's it for me too. Like I I walked out of that game and we had some great discussions going on the Seahawkers Pod Ring of Honor for those that are in the flock at gettingtheflock.com, right? And there was there was just some some folks kind of kind of meandering, going going through the motions, not exactly sure how to feel about this. My big takeaway was pretty simple. I was like, hey, listen, I had to exit this game feeling that we belonged, feeling that this team can hang and can make a run. I left that game being like, yeah, we can hang and we can make a run. And it would have been cool to have a home game and have the three seed and all that jazz. And this is not sour grapes. I'm just suggesting that being the five seed and the way it laid out anyway, if we, you know, listen, we gotta, this is shaping up just like, just like last year, right? It's like, we have a chance at redemption if we could beat an underperforming NFC East team. Last year, we couldn't do it. We have got to go and beat the Eagles. And then most likely we get that chance to go back to the Niners and play them again. Like I actually like the way this is set up. So I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not bitter. We had a, it was a tough, tough fought game and there's a lot to talk about. So this is three in three out. And Brandon, as you know, and the good people know, we like to dive into the nooks and the crannies. So we won't be talking about the non, the non PI call. We won't be talking about the, the, you know, mismanaged uh, stuff from the one yard line. We've been hearing those ad nauseum, you know, since Sunday night. And that's okay. That that's all part of the game. They were huge parts. And 
And there's still yet so much goodness to dive into on both sides of the ledger. So why don't we kick this thing off? And, you know, we have this one rule, Brandon, on three and three out. Brandon, what's the one rule? Remind the good people what the rule is. I, I don't know if I want to remind people that when we win, we start with an in because we didn't win. So we start with an out. We have to start with an out. The, the rules are rules. We don't have many, but we have to start with an out. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a cornucopia of those. So let's dive into the first out right now. All right, Brandon. There were uh, there, there were several outs to, to that were that were handed out throughout this game. Some of them in some very inopportune moments. Some of them just just flat ugly. And again, yet I'm still feeling pretty damn fired up and ready for this next game versus the Eagles. But this one, this first one for me, it, there's there's an O in the name. There's an out. There's an O in the name. I'm about to throw out there. It's Leno. Leno. Tecmo Ball. Dive left trying to salvage a, a stupid tackle from the safety position, Hill. I know it's a long name, but I didn't give it to him. He gave it to himself. That slant to Debo, at that point, it's only 3 nothing. It's I think it's late in the, in the first quarter. It's a slant to Debo, and Debo is a pretty damn skilled player. Debo, looks, Debo Samuel looks really good. Looks like the, the Niners really drafted a, a great one with him. Listen, the whole thing for me, Brandon, is if you are the free safety you cannot misplay a tackle so badly. You can't be a bad open field tackler. What does it do for the rest of your team if you can't tackle? And Leno Hill proved to everybody, you know, coast to coast and those watching around the globe that the dude can't tackle in the open field. He was nowhere near him. He techmo bold dies left. Debo blows past him. He clips three of his own guys. And he rumbles for like 20 more yards. Leno Hill to me, where's the big first out? I don't want to see this dude on the field anymore. It makes you long for the days of Tedrick Thompson's open field tackling. And that that's not that great either. That's not that great. Why? Why is Lano Hill still in there when you have Marquise Blair? You hear Pete Carroll talk in the press conference, ask the same question by reporters and just saying that you know, Lano Hill has more experience than Marquise Blair. Well, if we yeah. want the dude with more experience... I mean, let's go out and, and find a dude who's been in the league 15 years then. Uh, why Why are we waiting? What are we waiting for in terms of Marquise Blair? He's never going to have more experience than Lano Hill because Lano Hill came into the league first. I mean, this is straight math. It reminds me of when Bart Simpson, actually, when the entire Simpsons moved to like the Pacific Northwest and they and Homer winds up at Globex working for uh, Hank Scorpio and Bart Bart gets like kept back. And the teacher's like, you know, take out your, your, uh, your circle of paper. And Bart goes, let me get this straight. We're going to catch up by going slower than everybody else. But that's exactly what you just said. Okay, well, Blair doesn't have experience. Therefore, we're going to play the dude with more experience. Well, how the hell is Blair going to get experience? And I, I want to point out too, I had Blair on my inside of the ledger. He's not going to make, he's not going to be one of the three ins. But when Blair was in the game, we're down 10 nothing. He caused that fumble. He, he blew that play up. He brought his hat when he was out there, you know, very minimally. And the chance that he had to, to lay some wood to bring his hat, the one chance it seemed that he got, he did his job. He brought his hat. He jarred the ball loose. Blair brings aggressiveness. He brings being that missile. He tackles. He doesn't just blatantly miss friggin' dudes. What I'm hopeful for here, Brandon, is that Diggs is healthy. Leno goes and sits. And we somehow figure out a, a way to play a bit more nickel because... That's another topic, the 4-3 base defense. 
kind of exposed yet again, once again, with Cody Barton in there for Kendricks. But man, man, oh man, for me, it's Leno. He wears that out. I don't want to see that dude on the field very often the rest of this year. All right, Brandon, speaking of laying some wood, this is why I liked, this is why, like, I when I took the ledger of this game, I do it in the first blush as the game's going on. And typically, if I have a longer in ledger than I do an out ledger, you know, nine out of 10 times we win. In this game, I have a maybe 30% longer in ledger than I do the out ledger. There was more to like. For me, there was more to like in this game than there was to not like. This is a game where I, you know, just by the the standards of three in, three out, we should have won. And and also, you know, uh, tape don't lie. We could have and should have won this game. We didn't. We move on. It's okay. But one of the ins, the first in for me, listen, when you could lay a hat on some dudes and you could change the dynamic of how they feel about catching little dump off passes, you change the game. KJ Wright, he closes out the second quarter with a blast on Matt Breida. He opens the third quarter with a blast on George Kittle. Those two plays kind of back to back with halftime in between, they wear a huge in for me because, hey, Brandon, back, back to the memory logs. How was, how was uh, George Kittle doing in the first half? How'd he do? Yeah, Clinton, I think I know where you're going with this. And if you look at George Kittle's first half statistics, five catches on five targets and 74 yards. And okay. if you look at his second half statistics, which did include, he did hold on to that catch where he was drilled by KJ Wright. Yes, but he yes, finished he the game with, uh, in the second half, two catches and a total of 86 yards. So huh. do the math, 86 minus 74, uh, just two for 12 in the second half. Wow. So the dude who can't get tackled, which we heard, uh, speaking of ad nauseum, we heard over and over, George Kittle believes he can't be tackled. I mean, come on, what, what, just enough already with this crap. So the dude who can't be tackled gets laid out by KJ Wright. You can see it in his face. They show the slow motion of him come back to the huddle, kind of looking at Jimmy G like, dude, don't lay me out like that. <laughs> And he gets one more catch in that entire second half. This is what you need to do to players like that. You need to bring your hat and you need to make a statement. This, this is also bolsters why freaking dudes like Blair need to be in games versus the freaking 49ers. They got some ballers. They got Debo. They got Kittle. You've got to lay the wood. KJ Wright did a nice job. There was one more by KJ, by the way, Brandon, too. First and goal later in the game, he's the one who stuffed Mostert with Bobby Wagner's help, but but KJ got there first. Yes, the Niners scored in the very next play. What can you do? It's very hard to stop dudes, you know, two, three, four times in a row at the goal line. But KJ was bringing the hat, loved it, and he's wearing the big in for the first in on this week's three in, three out. I'm glad you gave it to KJ first. Of all the guys, of all the big impact moments of this game, I felt like those two tackles by KJ were, were just statement type tackles. So for when you look at the nooks and the crannies in this game, K.J. Wright, he's definitely the cream that rises to the top. All right, we're about to bounce over to another out on the outside of the ledger. Of course, this is three in, three out. I am Clinton Bonner. You can find me at Clinton Bond on Twitter. Brandon, you put out like a gazillion pods a week at this point, and they're all freaking fabulous, and they're all about the Seahawks. Tell the good folks, where can they find you? Where, they, where can they follow? How can they listen? What can they do? Follow on Twitter at SeahawkersPod. And of course, if you're just coming across this through some feed of some sort and you're liking what you're hearing, 
be sure and subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcast. You'll get every show delivered. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to search for it. It just comes right to you. It is easy. It is easy to do. And if you are, you know, fanatics as we are, if you, and, and, and I would imagine if you're listening to this, you are more than a fanatic. And thank you so much. Subscribe. You show up, you, you open your Google podcast, your Apple podcast, whatever the hell you're listening to, and then new stuff just arrives at your door. It's like Christmas every single morning. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, we're on the outside ledger. We're going to talk about some not beautiful things. Painting the scene. It's 13 to 7. We had that long drive. We get back in the game. It's 13 nothing at the half. The Niners are getting the ball. We just talked about how KJ Wright really changed the game with that hit on Kittle in the first drive right there. Okay. We get the ball back. We march down. We make it 13 to 7. What do we do, Brandon? What's your recollection of the very next thing that happens after the kickoff, after we made it 13 to 7? Uh, you know, this is one that my my recollection is a little bit foggy because <laughs> I I expected to be able to take a break and, you know, get some snacks. And I come back and Jimmy Garoppolo has just completed a 49-yard pass to to the fullback of all guys and I'm I'm looking at the screen and they're and they're down in the red zone already and I'm thinking what what just happened here I yeah. I, I step away for 2 seconds and and the 49ers are back looking to to capitalize once again well now we know it's your fault for peeling away so like you could take the blame on that part <laughs> uh-huh. of it at least uh-huh. and and yes was it uh, 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 how do you say his name uh Mike Yuschek Yuschek yeah and and the and the announcers are going off about like, oh, you just don't see this from fullbacks. And dude, Yuschek ran by Michael Kendricks. I know he's hurt. I wish the dude a good recovery. He's still getting the out. He ran by Michael Kendricks as fast as a, a freaking fullback wearing number 44 possibly can, which ain't that fast. He just moseys by him. He's open by like, if this is a horse race, they'd call it like three lengths. It was three and a half lengths coming down the stretch. I don't understand what the frig Kendricks was doing. Like, I understand that he is best when he's rushing the passer. Guess what? We play this 4-3 base. You got to cover dudes. He was nowhere near the guy. That was his guy. And he just lets him gallop or mosey beyond him and get wide friggin' open. To me, you cannot have these stupid lapses. I'm sorry he's hurt but he's going out with this out. That was a big time game changer. Sapped the momentum back to the Niners and Kendricks gets the out for not being able to cover a fullback. I don't care if he's the all pro fullback. He's still a freaking fullback. Well, and you know, when you talk about dudes with speed, I, the the unfortunate thing is Michael Kendricks is the fastest linebacker, but you know what? We're also used to having speed on the back end of the defense and you bring yes. up Kendricks name, but uh, you know, the other guy there to, to get in on the tackle was the guy who got the first out. Yeah, it is. And I, and I, you know, I remember seeing Leno Hill kind of, you know, trotting backwards and then turning to the inside. You know why he's turning to the inside? Because they were like wide receivers over there. That's right. why. <laughs> so he had, so in this case, for me, I was like, no, that's not on Hill. It wasn't his responsibility for a little freaking circle wheel route being run by the fullback. Brandon, the bottom line is if we're playing a 4 3 base, you've got to cover dudes better. Go watch a little bit of Saints. This is, Listen, I, I'm I am ready for a playoff run. We got to take care of business with the Eagles. It has to happen so we get this redemption shot with the Niners. Hopefully, in the second week of the playoffs, you know we're not putting the cart before the horse. We got to get there. 
but do yourselves a favor. Go watch a little Saints. If you don't watch other teams and you know a lot of Seahawks fans, myself included, I end up watching a lot of other games mainly because of fantasy, not because I really want to sit there and watch other teams' football. I do enjoy it. And Demario Davis from the Saints, number 56, he wears like a tatted, looks like a tatted sleeve with the floor de lee. Go watch that dude in coverage. That is the kind of linebacker. And the thing is, Brandon, we don't have that kind of speed right now with linebackers. We continue to play this 4-3. Kendricks, who just got busted up, was, was our fastest guy. Still not a great coverage guy. And our other linebackers, while they are still damn good, they're not that fast anymore. They're not, they're not young guns anymore. So it's all swelling and bubbling over for me that we just need to make a change on defense. Very hopeful that when Diggs comes back, it changes a lot of things because he's just that damn good and he frees up McDougal to be way more bold, which which I think is a game changer for us. And Brandon, I just hope that we come to our senses and make a change on defense. You know, can the old dog learn a new trick? Can the tiger change his stripes? What do you think? Do you think Pete Carroll, do you think Ken Norton, will they make some change? We, if we get digs back, I pray to God we do. But do you think we see some change heading into this Eagles game or... Do we just stay with the base? Well, I think you end up staying with the base because you see when Diggs is in the game, it looks like a completely different defense. And so I think you probably can run more base. But I know there's the the hope that Amadi gets out there on the field more. When you have the two healthy safeties, it kind of makes me hope for Akeem King back out there a little bit more. He filled in pretty well for Shaquille Griffin when he was out. Uh, you know, there was another guy that was missing from this defense in this game, too. And I don't know if we're necessarily going to get there. But uh, if we don't, we can cover it in the Eagles preview. So I, I will save it for that. Oh, I'm peaked. I'm peaked. <laughs> so let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll get to the last couple ends. All right, Brandon, we are back on the fun side of the ledger. As I mentioned before, to me, I had more ins than I did outs. I was just telling you during the break there that I actually had five legit ins. We were talking about a few that are not going to make the cut, but this one that is going to make the cut, I liked that second half adjustment, what we did on third and shorts. And this is not to one play, this is not to one player, but this was either to Lockett, to Hollister, to Moore, to Homer out of the backfield. The adjustments to what we did on third down to get rid of the ball quickly, to get rid of the ball with little slant plays, to get rid of the ball on, on you know running back dump plays, it was working really, really well. And yes, we had that first half again where it took us an entire freaking half to figure a few things out. And with that, we did. We did figure a few things out. We were a half inch away from putting up four touchdowns in the second half of this game. And the big reason for me was our ability to execute on short, third and shorts, and the creativity of them. I really like what I saw. And Brandon, my question is this, can we start a game with some of that? Can we start against the Eagles with some of that juice, some of those short passes, some of those things where we get fast guys crossing across the middle? I, I would like to think so, but I feel like we, you know, when we talk about some of the ends, it ends up wandering over to some of the criticisms. And now I, I feel like we're we're landing on some of these same criticisms that we've been talking about all season long. So I, I, do I do I think that it's going to change moving forward? Probably not. I think that's it's probably we're probably going to continue to see all the things that we've seen leading up to this particular game. You just you hope that it doesn't have the the impact overall. And in a game like this where it was so close, 
there are so many things you can point out and say, yeah, that was the difference. But I, I like the fact that you're pointing to this at the end, you know, the the idea that going into this game, the, the 49ers have been allowing a lot of points going into this game. They were up over 30 yep. points allowed over the last few games. And so I knew the Seahawks were going to be able to put up points. It's just the fact that they didn't start to do it until the second half and going into the half down 13 points. That's just that's a big hole to try and dig out of when you're playing a team that ultimately is going into the NFC playoffs as the number one seed. And, you know, if we end up playing a team like the the Saints, you know, good luck because it won't be it won't be 13 nothing. You know, it'll be more like 24 nothing because they're relentless and they'll just keep putting up points. I'm with you. It's like we've got to score 30. You have to have that mentality. And and we did see some good things like later in the game. We had, you know, we, we hey, we went for it on a, in the first half, the fourth and one. Yes, we gave the ball to Lynch. It didn't work out. I hope there's not a, a lesson there that's like, well, we can never do that again. No, do more of that. It just, you know, do maybe do it differently. But but there was aggressiveness. There was an adjustment. I'm just holding out hope here, Brandon, that once it's 440 on Sunday and we're in Philly, that the first friggin' drive of the game, we could see some of this underneath stuff and we could just expose what is not a very good Eagles team. They got some players. and I do want to share some of that later, but they're not that good of a team. We could beat them in a very similar way that we beat the crap out of the Niners in that second quarter. So I take that. I hope it's a stepping stone as we get into the playoffs. And maybe I'm dumb. I probably am, but I just think we're going to do it this time. (laughs) Okay, Brandon, we're at this last out. And yeah, there are some of these just themes that just keep coming up and they are year long things. And some of them have been like, well, a decade long, like slow starts and things like that. We talked about the base D early, man, Brandon, we got some early pressure on Garoppolo. We had those, what, two sacks in the first half. That was, that was a nice surprise. Jefferson did a good job in that. I think that was the first series getting home. I know. And we looked pretty good. Second half, I think Jimmy G stayed pretty damn clean. At what point, Brandon, were you... I know looking at the TV and looking, you know, looking down the line and being like, hey, is number 49 going to play defense today? Are we going to put Keem in the game? Are we going to let Keem just get to the edge and just go rush Jimmy and try to disturb him? Because we know that if you get in Jimmy's face, and even if you don't, even if you hear some footsteps, he starts to get his, his magic footsteps going. He gets wild. He overthrows. He throws interceptions. He makes bad decisions. The, the question and the out for me is where the heck was Keem? Why did Shaquem Griffin not line up as a defensive end? I mean, did he line up once on defense? I didn't see him out there one friggin' time. Zero snaps on defense for Shaquem Griffin. And yes, I Ugh. had a Mama Cleo moment earlier, and this was the one that I was uh, that ah. I, I was going to mention, and you did. You brought it up for your final out, and, and so I'm glad I didn't spoil it early because, yes, Shaquem Griffin not being in there on defense at all. And we've talked about it on the Seahawkers podcast. I think you and I have talked about it. It really feels like for the Seahawks defensive line, if they're getting pressure, they're doing it with four guys. They're doing it with Clowney in there. They're doing it with Anza in there, Jaron Reed. And then the fourth guy, it seems like they need Shaquem Griffin in there to get pressure. And whether it's on some kind of stunt or, you know, he just has the speed, you feel like you need that guy in there to to get some consistent pressure. And just for the fact that he wasn't in there on, on any of the third and long type plays, I was really surprised. Yeah, uh, and out to the defense for, and, and Coach Norton, Coach Carroll for not getting Shaquem Griffin on the field, on defense, only six snaps on special teams. 
Yeah, that's a disgrace. And, and I was fiddling with my phone because I pulled this up from earlier today. Rasheem Green, four sacks. Jefferson, three and a half. Clowney, three. Kendricks, three. Wagner, three. Ansa, two and a half. Trey Flowers, two. And it goes down. You know, Brandon Jackson, two. Uh, Reed, two. Al Woods, one. There were dudes like Shaq Barrett and others who had like four and a half sack games. Right. Games. Right. Rasheem Green led the team with four sacks. And I know, look like we addressed this in the offseason. I was very happy about the Ansa signing. I thought it worked. It would work out better than it has. It hasn't. Hopefully, he just comes up big in the playoffs. Clowney, he's not a huge pass rusher as is. He's had some giant games and he's an extremely disruptive player. And I want to resign him. But, you know, a sack guy, he is not. Our leading sack guy was Rasheem Green with four sacks in the entire year. And there's not enough brain power to say, hey, the dude who, when he gets his chances on the edge, who is extremely disruptive, if you give the guy 12 snaps four or five times, he's in the quarterback's face. We don't use that guy once on defense. It just feels to me that we have some reserves, quote unquote reserves, on our bench who are better than our freaking starters. And again, I'm literally, I'm all red. My shoulders are tense. I got my, my Seahawks puffy hat on. And I'm grabbing my brain. I'm just at the boiling point where it's like, we have dudes who are better ballers on our bench. Can it just stop? Can we get in Wentz's face and do it with Keem? Man, and, and Brandon, I go back and say, I think we're going to change. <laughs> I don't know why. I think we're going to change. I think I'm an idiot. The more and more I hear myself talk about this, the Tiger probably won't change his stripes. We'll probably be talking about this next week. But for now, that's the out. Why don't we bounce on over to our final in? All right. This last in makes me extremely happy. This is one of the ones where, again, I had five for me, five legitimate ins. So I had a circle around three of them for three in, three out. And this one was like, number one, I was like, I've got to talk about that. Have to talk about that. So I'll just get to it right away. I think it was a week or two ago, probably two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, where I was saying, I'm kind of done with the George Fant experiment. Mm. I'm okay. I'm okay with him as the, the sixth guy. When he comes over as the extra tight end slash you know, six old lineman, that's cute. We don't have to be throwing the ball. Everybody gets all you know giddy about that. I don't find it that funny. And I'm like, I don't think Fant's really going to be that good. I think the experiment just should come to an end. I need to back the truck up. I thought- Listen, the only time I saw Bosa in the backfield is when he went to the other side and went against the Fetty. Mm -hmm. Every single time, yeah, there were a couple of bull rushes, a couple of bull rushes where Fant collapsed a little bit, but Bosa wasn't free. Russ still had time to do what Russ had to go do. It wasn't like he was free, free running. Fant, to me, played exceptionally well. I mean, he was every bit, I mean, Dwayne Brown is a, is a pro bowler and he's done that numerous times. I thought, Fant in this game was every bit as good as a Dwayne Brown type against one of the premier pass rushers, this rookie Bosa out there that I've seen all year. I was super bullish. If Brown has to be out for another week or two, maybe three weeks, and we still got a deep run, I am 100% okay with Fant taking that left tackle position, protecting Russ's blindside, and doing a hell of a job. To me, the biggest end of the game, the biggest thing that has me fired up and believing is that George Fant is a pretty damn good offensive lineman. 
Yeah, looking at Pro Football Focus, graded out at 72 for the day. And the pressures, you're right. You know, he he did give up four pressures. So three of those four were just that Russell had to hurry his throw a little bit. So not a huge deal. He only allowed one hit on Russell Wilson. And for the backup guy, you know, I was kind of of the mind that George Fant and Jamarco Jones were essentially the same guy. You know, why yep. take Jamarco Jones out there when when now he has a week to build off of and he can and he can build off of what he learned from getting beat so badly from Chandler Jones the week before. Let him use that against Nick Bosa. And I'm glad to be wrong about that because George Fant. Yeah, he was he, he was a complete uh, 180 from what we saw from Jamarco Jones last week. And Jones came in and he filled in like similarly with that. Uh, tight end role of of being kind of the extra guy on the line blocking so yeah maybe that's the way to do it and you wonder you know moving down the road is that what gets George Fant signed a a long-term contract with the Seattle Seahawks team yeah I mean this is this is that 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 I mean listen I want a playoff run we've got we've got to beat the Eagles we got to have a chance at the Niners Uh, I think we're going to get that chance and with that I'm 100% okay, you know, in the off season with Afedi getting his papers, saying, "Have a good life, go go make whatever ten million dollars a year from some some sap that's going to give it to you," and giving Fant some of that money, mm. you know, probably not even all that money. G- give Fant that money, and and I know this is like a a a 180 for me, and maybe a three week span. So be it. So be it. <laughs> I, I I'm okay with that. I, I and I, I like that that I'm that I'm able to come to the table with that because. Brandon, I saw enough. Bosa was what? One of the highest rated like pass pressure guys, you know, not not sacks per se, but just pressures where he's moving the quarterback off his spot. So you're going up against an elite guy with another pretty much elite line there where dudes like Buckner and others on, on that line, Armstead, a damn good line. Fant held his own, super, super happy about that. And, you know, going into the Eagles game, I got confidence that this line, this formation, this this five they put out there. I think we I think we're gonna be able to do what we did, which is move the ball. Like, you know, hey, Travis Homer, what did he get? 6.2 yards per carry? Yeah. 6.2 from Travis Homer. The dude looked good. Beastmo. We haven't, we haven't uttered, we've been at this for like 30-something minutes. We haven't said the name Marshawn Lynch yet. Marshawn Lynch comes in. He looked good in spells. He was getting his his wheels under him. He of course had the beautiful touchdown. I'm just in this mind frame that. We'll be able to move the ball the way we want to against a pretty banged up Eagles team. And I'm excited for it. All right, Clinton, I, I feel like that kind of leads us into the Eagles. But, you know, before we before we talk some more Eagles Seahawks preview that, why don't we get to some comments from the flock? Oh, there were there were a lot. Let's do that. Our favorite section. Let's go from the flock. All right, Clinton, kicking off the From the Flock segment with one of our frequent contributors, Christopher Rolf, in with an out. And uh, this one we didn't get to. One of the things that's kind of been talked about a lot is the clock management. And Christopher is given the out to Carol for the clock management at the end of the game. It, he says, it puzzles me how you can get a delay penalty in such a key moment. And I, I think this is a question that we all kind of have. And it's a question that reporters are bringing up, too. And I feel like Pete, you know, he knows what happened in the situation, but he's kind of covering for it. So whether or not, uh, you know, Marshawn gets some of the blame for maybe not being ready to come onto the field. Maybe the, the guys just didn't get their personnel uh, calls in at the right time. Uh, something happened here and we just we we're not going to get the full story because, you know, Pete Carroll is all about protecting the team. And in that clock management situation, 
Russell Wilson spikes the ball. They have all kinds of time to get the right dudes out on the field. Mm -hmm. It didn't Mm -hmm. happen. And you know what? I, I still, people are harping on this to the point of, of saying that this is what lost the game. No, this isn't what lost the game. You hear people all the time talk about how, oh, well, they got a penalty at the one yard line. And and so they back up and it just gives them a little bit more room to work. How many times? That's just a a cliche of football that we always hear. (laughs) So now to to be like, oh, well, that lost of the game. No, no, they were going to probably figure out a way to, you know, Marshawn maybe would have run it. Maybe he would have gotten stuffed like he did on the other fourth and one. Who knows? But uh, you will never get there. But yes, the, the clock management for them to take a delay in that moment it definitely is outworthy yeah and, and the thing for me too there's one thing that's in and that's christopher rolf's uh twitter uh avatar he's got the uh the, the baby yoda marshawn lynch uh, <laughs> avatar rocking which is a great job so agent of bolas out on twitter good job chris and the one thing for me too that i will say about this was yeah i think i do think carol's covering up a little bit and the reason i think that is because once the seahawks were like down there they kept showing Lynch on the sideline and his helmet wasn't on. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I get that he's not in the game currently because Homer had been the guy for Pat, you know, Homer had kind of just in that game was getting, getting more touches. He was the main guy. Yeah. They're out and, of timeouts. So yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, didn't yeah, really yeah. expect, you know, I, I just, I just didn't know. They keep, they kept showing Marshawn. I'm like, why? I'm like, is he hurt? He's not hurt. Like, why is there not some assistant in his ear being like, Hey, they still had a chance to get a first down, which they did on Ursua's catch. So they got the first down and, and they, they spiked the ball. And what, I mean, just to me, it was like some dude's got to be in Marshawn's ear being like, hey, put your helmet on. Like, <laughs> there's a really good chance you're getting back in this game. Um, so that even at the time, I was like, why is Marshawn's helmet not on? So I, I think something happened there, too. And personally, I think, uh, you know, Carroll is doing a little bit of covering up for the team. And with that, that's still on Carroll. He's their coach. Going to bounce on over to an end. We got Santiago Rodriguez at Rodriguez Expat out on Twitter. He says, in John Ursua, first reception, clutch AF. You know what, Santiago? 100% right. I, and Brandon, I don't know about you, man. I've been waiting for Ursua basically since the moment we, when we drafted him. I was like, oh, I love the idea of moving up, getting a dude you love, getting a slot guy in a year where Doug Baldwin's retiring. I can't wait to see you. Holy crap. Had to wait 17 weeks to see you. Oh my gosh. You almost <laughs> won the game. I'm fired up about your Asua. Like his first catch ever. Cheers to you, Santiago. Brandon, do you think now that Brown's going to be out for a few weeks, Malik Turner's still coming back from concussion? Can This again goes back to, I think we have some ballers who are on our bench. What do you think about Ursua? Think we're going to see some of him against the Eagles? I do. I, I think we're going to see him a little bit more, and because it, it takes guys to get within that Pete Carroll circle of trust, and for whatever <laughs> reason, whatever reason, Ursua hasn't been able to do it. And I, you were calling for it at the beginning of the season. I think we did a prediction show, and you were saying, you know, you th- you thought Ursua is going to get like forty or fifty catches, and he does end up with one at least, so you don't get skunked in the deal. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's going to go on a he's going to go on a run for the ages, and if we count his playoff or exceptions, he's probably going to have three. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to take an in because I don't, I don't want you to just take the in and and have to leave me with the out. So I'm going to take Schmick 
at Mickey Swank on Twitter says the fight we had to bring this game down to the wire against a team that outmatched us in almost every way and after an abysmal first half. And yeah, that you you kind of talked about this in the sense of of adjustments at halftime. But yeah, just the fact that down 13-0, this team isn't going to give up. And they they nearly pulled it off. Even even where I think a lot of people were writing it off after the Seahawks scored their second touchdown. And the 49ers, you know, put up another touchdown on the board. It was another two-score game. And still, you know, they came back, got another score, and finally got the defensive stop. Even when people were thinking, geez, do we do we kick it off with three and a half minutes left? Or do is this a time for an onside kick? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they get the stop when they need to and nearly, nearly pulled out the win. So I mean, yes, and it's it's almost it almost vindicates everything of 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 Coach Carroll's philosophy of, <laughs> you know, it's just it's you know people are wanting to put Carroll's head on a stick and 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 uh, burn the effigy of Carroll. It's like it's like dudes, we still went eleven and five. We made the playoffs again. He gets more out of players, and he has such a good culture. Like I mean, anybody ever work in business? Ever, ever work for a company where you're you're just downtrodden all day because it sucks versus being in a culture where where you really love what you do and you love your teammates, it, it just it can't be understated how, how important that is, even if the X's and O's are sometimes a bit off. And Brandon, you brought up the inability to stop the Niners when they were kind of coming back. And every time they would answer us, Daniel Weinholz in the Seahawkers pod Ring of Honor, he talked about that one also. He had another out. I said we weren't going to talk about the PI call. However, his phraseology deserves talking. So he says, out, bad non-call. The Niners defender was practically dry humping one of our players. So I'll just I'll just cut it off right there with, <laughs> with the idea that it was, I think it was Warner dry humping Hollister, the no call, the whole thing already. We said we wouldn't talk about it, but if you type dry humping and you send it to me, I'm going to read it on the air. <laughs> oh, I don't even know where to go with that one. I what 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 is going to be better of of what the submissions that came in for for that Clinton? Uh, I'll go with uh, an in from Dave Bloomquist because you know he brought it up, you brought it up in the O line, making our patchwork backfield productive and holding the Winers defense to one measly sack. Nice job in a pressure game. Fant was fantastic. Yeah, Fant deserves it for sure. And we'll give a, a bonus into Bloomy too. He did talk about Shaq, Shaq Griffin's open field tackling. Mm. You were telling me during one of the breaks that Shaq actually had, you know, had about five missed tackles, which I, I didn't didn't show up for me. But Bloomy saw what I saw too was that Shaq was just making a couple of beautiful open field tackles where, well, where others named Lano Hill just weren't. Yeah. And, you know, he specifically points out Shaq Griffin's third and 17 tackle on that last drive. You know, they the Seahawks get a little bit of a gift of uh, an unsportsmanlike penalty where their center is blocking downfield after the whistle and it backs him up the third and 17. And I'm thinking, OK, there, there's no way that they're getting <laughs> there's no way the 49ers are getting a third and 17. You know, we're going to get the ball back. And if not for Shaq Griffin, the Seahawks don't get the ball back. So, yeah, a huge open field tackle by Griffin in that scenario. And that is what gave the Seahawks a chance at uh, at scoring that final touchdown. Yeah, Mostert's good, but Barry Sanders, he is not. But good job, Shaq. Okay, Brandon, we got Lisa in Seattle. We, we, we love us and Lisa. She says, in, not woeful protection in the second half. You know what? She's right. We talked about that earlier, too. I thought the pass pro was pretty good. Listen. This team, I think, I think our PFF grade, 
I'm pretty sure at the end of the year, we were 31st or going into week 17, into week 16, we were 31st in pass pro in the league, 31st out of 32. After being 18 last year, all we talk about is just give Russ a decent line, a decent line. We weren't decent. We were 31st in pass protection. Russ still had 31 touchdowns, five interceptions, and over 4,000 yards passing. Russ had a damn good year. And you know who else had a damn good year, Brandon? Lisa. She has a, a good year every year. That, correct, that should not correct. be shocking. But uh, Russell Wilson's season, you know, I, I saw Eric Lindeen on Twitter. At uh, Eric Lindeen says, double check my stat math, but I believe the only quarterback in NFL history to post at least 4,000 passing yards, have 300 plus rushing yards, 30 plus touchdowns, and five or fewer interceptions is the one and only at Dane Russ Wilson in 2019. And he's right. The only guy to do that, even if, and I know there's a lot of qualifiers in there because you put the rushing yards in there, you put the passing yards, but even if you only look at 30 plus touchdowns and five or fewer interceptions, it's a short list. It's a short list of hall of fame quarterbacks. It's Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson. So yeah, the the only, and out of those four guys, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, the only guys to go over four thousand passing yards in their seasons where they hit those touchdown INT numbers, and if you throw in rushing yards, yeah, Russell Wilson, the only guy to do it. Yeah, that, that's impressive. And you know what? You know, as much as you know, you and Adam like the joke that you know uh, passing yards don't matter, and you're right because a uh, little pop quiz: who was the passing yards? Uh, champion this year, Brandon. Yeah, Jameis Winston. <laughs> yes, Jameis had over 5,100 yards and 30 interceptions. 30, <laughs> 30, 30. So you have Russ at 31 and five with 4,100 yards passing and you tack on 300 yards rushing in the era now of Lamar Jackson. Yeah, guess what? Rushing yards for quarterbacks do matter quite a bit. You know why? Because very often it's one of two things. Very often, it's like, okay, you're now in like a third and short because of a rush, or your quarterback picked up a first down or ran the ball in. By the way, Russ had three rushing touchdowns. So 34 total touchdowns to five INTs. Yeah, Russ friggin' balled out. All right, Clinton. I think I know the in that both of us want to close this out with. And Let's, it's hear from, it. Let's hear it. It's from Garen Taylor in the, in the Seahawkers podcast, Facebook Ring of Honor, says in handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch for a touchdown. And yes, we did get to see Marshawn Lynch from the one-yard line get a touchdown. He goes over the top and oh. gets the touchdown. And for me, it was it was the moment of the game. I don't care what uh, anything else happened in that game. I knew we were still going to be in the playoffs next week. We had, we had our sentimental moment that I know uh, Pete Carroll was fired up for. I think his expression on that just expressed what all Seahawks fans were feeling in that particular moment. I was nearly crying. I mean, I, I, and it wasn't because of the paint fumes. I'm doing a rather large project downstairs, like repainting and ripping up carpet and staples. So I'm sitting in like a, a paint-infused fume lodge downstairs. I'm slamming back some bad light beers. And I nearly have tears in my eyes because what I was thinking about was I remember tearing up listening to the Seahawks parade, shoveling snow in my driveway in, in 2013, very early 2014, welling up a, a you know, a, a grown ass man, welling up crying over the radio broadcast of, of the victory parade. And Lynch goes over the top and I'm feeling it. I, I get all the feels. And that is a perfect from the flock to end it on. 
All right, Clinton. Well, the Seahawks are going on the road. The seven and one road team, they're going back on the road for the playoffs and they're starting out with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Eagles. They're a banged up team, too. I know we've talked about how the Seahawks have injuries. The Eagles have injuries. They just found out they lost their Pro Bowl guard, Brandon Mm. Brooks, out with a dislocated shoulder. He's going to be out for the season. But you have the Eagles. They might be getting some of their uh, weapons back in this game, too, where you go back to that that Seahawks-Eagles game, and they didn't have a whole lot of guys starting, uh, you know, especially at the receiver spot. They might be getting Jackson back, but they might be losing Ertz now. He, he, yep. uh, he may not play in this game coming up. So, yeah, definitely not the best injury news for the Eagles. But, you know, there's some promise there, I think, for Eagles fans, too. Well, here, here's the thing, too. It's like I, I kind of said in passing earlier, number one, I'm supremely fired up. Uh, you know, I said this at the onset. We, I had to leave me as a man, as a Seahawks fan. I had to leave the Niners game being like, we have a run in us. And the more I thought about it, I was thinking about this this morning, taking my dog for a little hike. I was like, holy crap, this is the same thing as last year, right? Last year, it was two really close games to the Rams. We make the playoffs. We're playing an NFC East team that everybody thinks we should win. And if we win, we're going to get our, our redemption chance to go back to LA and a third game with the Rams. We lost. We crapped the bed last year. Terrible game planning. And we lose to the Cowboys. This is deja vu all over again. And we have got to change our stripes. If we took anything away from this pod is we got to do things a little bit differently. We have to change things up. I think we our hands are being kind of forced a little bit. Maybe there's some some silver linings and some blessings with these injuries that we just we have to. All of a sudden it's Lynch, all of a sudden it's Homer, all of a sudden it's Ursua. All right, let's let's see what these different guys can do cuz Brandon, we've got to beat this Eagles team. I think we're the better team. However, I do want to talk about a player, man. Listen, they also lost Sanders. Sanders hurt his, hurt his ankle pretty badly. Sanders is a, is a good you know he's a good flex back. That guy, I had. I'm a big fantasy player, so I, ha- I had him all year in fantasy. He came through in the end in one of my championship teams. He's pretty damn good. But the dude behind him, if you don't know Boston Scott yet, Boston Scott can ball. Boston Scott is like a a a, a, a Sproles type back who's a little beefier, just as quick, and even a little bit stronger than like a Darren Sproles. So if you remember how annoying Darren Sproles is. If you are cringing because you know we have difficulties covering backs out of the backfield, which we do, by the time this game is over, if we if we won, you're not going to like Boston Scott. If we lost, you're going to hate Boston Scott. That dude scares the crap out of me. Yep, Ertz probably is not going to play. I don't think Jackson's going to be back. Yeah, I think I, San- you know, I, I said Jackson's oh, sorry, name, but uh, so Jackson, he's not eligible to come back off of IR uh, until the divisional uh, round. So well, okay, okay. So yeah, no no chance for DJAC being back in this game. Oh, because I was listening to uh, you know, a, a fantasy pod and I was and they they were throwing him out as a possibility too. They sounds like they weren't looking at that either. So for me, man, I think I think the Eagles are pretty banged up. Like, you know, Goddard's a pretty good backup tight end. He's not as good as Ertz. Right. They still can't stretch the field. Their guy Ward, their other receiver, again, I know a lot of Seahawks fans, I would be the same way. For baseball, Brandon, I watch the Mets. I rarely sit down and will be like, oh, Kansas City versus the White Sox. Let me dive into that. I don't play fantasy baseball, so I don't watch a lot of other baseball besides the Mets. For the Seahawks fans who don't play fantasy football, who really don't watch a lot of other NFL teams, it's Boston Scott and it's Ward. What I don't even know Ward's uh, first name. Greg. 
Greg. Yeah, but that, that's what I think it's yeah, Greg. Yeah, it is Greg. That's why I didn't know. It's too too easy. So it's Greg Ward who stepped up. That guy's a pretty good wide receiver, and it's this dude Boston Scott. Get to know those dudes. If we can contain them, I'm not saying it's got to be 17 to seven, Brandon. I feel like we could go in there and win this game something like 27 17, 27 16, 24 13, and just be the better team. I don't know about keys to the game. I don't know about any of that. All I know is we got to win this game. We cannot be one and done for the second year in a row in the middle of Russ Wilson's prime. Cannot happen. Well, hopefully they prepare for a guy like Scott because there's so many other guys. You know, you mentioned Sanders' name, and then you know Jordan Howard is back after missing six weeks. You know, he just got one snap as as kind of a decoy uh, in in the in their win. Uh, last week so you know this could be the game that he returns and makes an impact and then you know you brought up darren sproll's name you just brought up that he's retiring so you know he's probably going to get some action in this game too because they're going to want to give sproll's a few snaps just uh you know with with him kind of on his way out the door too i think listen every snap they give him and take away from boston scott that that's a plus for us i and brandon have you watched scott at all have you have you checked him out like in no, any game no, oh, i know you were, you were bringing up his name and i was kind of curious what you had to say about him oh, oh dude yeah just go just any anybody who doesn't know him yet go watch that dude go watch his last 3 or 4 weeks there was the game a couple of weeks ago where sanders went down and howard still had that bad stinger and it, i think it was against the redskins where the eagles were floundering in the first half floundering and then Scott comes in and takes over the game and did exactly what he did, just did, to the Giants last week. It, here's the thing. Sanders is a nice back. Boston Scott's better. Boston wow. Scott, is, he's more dangerous. He catches the ball just as well, if not better, out of the backfield. He's more elusive, and he's just as tough. Boston Scott is going to cause us some friggin' fits. Well, and we haven't even talked about the uh, Eagles defense, which gave the Seahawks so much trouble in the last game. And, you know, the, I, that's probably where they're the most healthy. They did lose their defensive end uh, to, I think he had an ACL tear. So, you know, another guy out on their defense. But, you know, they got dudes up the middle where the Seahawks can tend to struggle if if they can get pressure on Wilson from right up the middle. Dudes like Cox. Yeah. And, and that's always going to be, you know, I mean, hey, Hunt played pretty well. Again, we didn't talk about Joey Hunt. He had that awesome like Spinderella move where he, where he you know, took out his dude and took out a, a second level linebacker with this, but the spin move was quite nice. And with all that, it's, it's, they're going to, they're going to get theirs. The Eagles do have that, that solid, you know, up the gut defensiveness. That's that they're, they're ballers, man. They're, they're a pretty good team. Uh, with that, Last week, I'm saying, hey, we got to score 30 to win. Most weeks in the NFL, I'm like, we got to score 30 to win. I don't think we have to score 30 this week. I think if we could go in, score 23, 24, 27, I think we win this game. So as much as I do think that their defense is good, the Eagles defense is good, and they will depress our offense a little bit, I don't think we have to be gangbusters. We we have to be efficient. We have to, I think we got to get like three touchdowns, a couple of Myers field goals, we walk out of there with a victory. And and with that, I'm very hard-pressed to see a scenario where the Vikings beat the Saints. I just don't see that happening. I think the Saints are actually the best team in the NFC, potentially the best team in the whole league at this point. And if that if that happens, if that shakes, man, I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but then we get we get this, we get this unfinished, unfinished business. We got double unfinished business to finish, Brandon. <laughs> Put it on the airplane, put it on the tour bus. It's the unfinished business tour of 2019. And uh, like like you were hoping for, you know, hopefully they learn something from an NFC East loss last year. When you're in the playoffs, where you're, when you're in this situation, you have nothing to lose. Let's go out there and play like it.
it is exactly that. You have to play loose. You have to play like you have nothing to lose because you literally have everything to lose. Can't get back on that plane going back west without a little trip south coming right after that because that, that Saturday game is going to come quick. Got to win that game. One thing I'll correct you on there, Brandon, you had said it was the, the 2019 Unfinished Business Tour. It is, but now it's about to be the 2020 Unfinished Tour. And Clinton, this is the first show of the 2020 podcasting season. So a happy new year to you. Merry new year. If uh, new year. you know, coming to America. <laughs> Beef and, <junkie. laughs> and I think with that, Clinton, let's get on out of here. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.